to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. Today I want to talk about God's saving grace. And if you grew up in church, this scripture, these scriptures may be very, very familiar to you. If not, you need to underscore these, highlight them, because these are some of the most powerful words in the Bible. Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, and not of works, lest anyone should boast or brag. Thank you for respecting the word. You can be seated this morning. The old song says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. The words of that hymn have been sung for many, many years all over America and probably around the world. And there's a reason for that. It's because the the song contains a theme that resonates with those of us who have been born again. And it is the theme of God's saving grace. Let me ask you this morning a question. Where would you be right now if you're saved? Where would you be right now if it wasn't for the saving grace of God? A little scary thought, isn't it? Where would you be right now? Some of you might be in the jailhouse. A lot of us would be in the doghouse. Some of us might be in hell right now. If it wasn't for the how just a little Pentecostal moment here, high praises. How many of you could just celebrate and say, Thank God, I'm thankful for the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Come on, somebody. And we can learn a lot about the saving grace of God in these two verses. And and I just want to take and, and extrapolate some powerful themes from these two verses as as and, and thoughts as, as we examine this. Paul simply says, for by grace you are saved through faith. For by grace, you are saved through faith. In other words, that if you want to be saved from your sins, then you need to experience the saving grace of God. So what is that? Well, here's a definition. It is the unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor of God extended towards sinful people. That's a pretty good definition. The unearned, undeserved you know, Leah just saying, I don't deserve it, I didn't earn it, still you give yourself away. That's it. They sang my message this morning. They sang about saving grace today. Somebody said that, that saving grace is God's active love shown to the sinner. Somebody else said it's applying the benefits of the cross to you when you trust him as your savior. Well, however you want to define it, define it, saving grace is God meeting you at the point of your greatest need, and that is your need for salvation from sin. And he does this through the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who the Bible says is full of grace. And so we're saved by grace through faith. Now, I want to make it clear this morning that God has always saved people by grace through faith. It's always been that way. Now, some people think otherwise. Some people think, well, But I thought, Pastor, in the Old Testament that you offered these sacrifices and you had to keep all these laws and that's how you got saved until Jesus came and then this whole New Testament thing is about grace through faith. But it's not true. God has always saved people by grace through faith. And let me show you. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They sin. They do the wrong thing. Sin comes in their heart their life. Now they're sinners. They're in in a wrong relationship with God. The fellowship is broken. God has kicked them out of the Garden of Eden, and life's now very bad for them. The ground is cursed. Things that should have been easier are now going to be hard. Things are really bad. God could have just left humanity in this state, and we would have probably exterminated ourselves. God could have wiped out Adam and Eve and just killed them and sent them straight to hell and said, forget about it. But that's not what he did. The Bible says that God killed two animals, and I am convinced that the animals he killed were lambs. He killed two animals, and he took two things from the animal. He took the skin of the animal to create coverings for Adam and Eve who were naked, but he took the blood of the animals, and he used it and appropriated it to cover their sinfulness. 
And they believed that what he did had the power to atone for or cover their sin so that they could still have relationship with God. They believed that, but they also accepted it as a gift from God. Here's the thing. God didn't have to do that, did he? He didn't have to do it, but he did it. And because he did it, you have to see that was an act of God's saving grace. And, and so he did it not only for Adam and Eve, but then it was passed on from generation to generation. That's why Abel, Cain, liked, he was a farmer. He liked to deal with fruits and things like that and, and, and gr- gr- deal with the agrarian. But, but Abel had a flock of sheep. He was a shepherd. And he would offer a lamb to God. And there was, there was a concept that was passed down from generation to generation to generation. And that concept is that if you want to get right with God, you have to lean on his saving grace. You do these things that he said to do, but you have to trust in him and he will save you. Yeah, y'all ever heard of a guy named Abraham in the Bible? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, okay. Abraham, the father of the, of the modern nation of Israel, the people of God. Abraham was not always saved and right with God. Abraham lived in modern-day Iraq in a place called Ur of Chaldees. He was a pagan idol worshiper, but out of God's favor, no other reason, just because God decided to, out of all the people there, he picked Abraham, pulled him out and said, Abraham, I'm giving you an opportunity to leave your life of sin and this place of sin, leave your family, and to follow me and to leave all those idols, leave them all behind, forsake them, and make me your God. And if you follow me, I'm going to take you to a place called Canaan, modern-day Israel. And I'm going to take you there, and you're going to have a son. I know you're old. I know your wife is old. You're beyond childbearing years. It will be a biological impossibility. But I'm going to give you a son, supernatural in your old age, and from that son I'm going to create a nation that is as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, and it will and ultimately will be the nation of Israel. And Abraham, in an act of faith, leaves Ur of Chaldees, follows God, goes to Canaan land, and one day God is reiterating to him that he's going to give him a son in his old age. And the Bible, there's a very important passage of Scripture in the Bible. And, and Abraham says, the Bible says about Abraham, that Abraham believed God, faith. For by grace you are saved through faith. Abraham believed God, and at that moment, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now understand, he didn't just believe God. His, his, his knowledge of God and his relationship with God reached the point that Abraham just, don't miss this. Abraham didn't just believe God that God was going to give him an heir. His faith and knowledge of God went way past that, that God could save him from his sins. If, there, if any man that can, can give me a son, that man can deal with my sins. And the reason I know this is because an act, a judicial act, occurred at that moment. And the Bible says that when he believed God, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, can I put that in terms that we all understand? Old Abe got saved. How's that? Old Abe got up out of the seat, came down to the altar, and prayed and gave his life to Jesus. That's what we say today. It was credited to him for righteousness. He became a man of faith. And, and he didn't earn that. He didn't deserve that. He didn't negotiate that deal with God, with, with the son, or his salvation. He just believed, and he let God give it to him. That's grace. And he was saved and became the father of the faithful. You're always saved by grace through faith. And if you notice that I keep putting faith, grace, faith, grace together, it's like peanut butter and jelly. Faith and grace go together. They work together. They're, they're a tag team. And, and, and so I want to make something clear. The Old Testament saints, and I love preaching this, the Old Testament saints, especially, well, it was all the way back then, but especially under Moses, they had all these different sacrifices the guilt offering and the sin offering and the burnt offering and the grain offering and the wave offering and, and they had all these different offerings and all these sacrifices and they had and they had all these rules and regulations they had to keep. And you get all bogged down in it. Thank God we don't have to do those today under the new covenant. But they had to do all that. But why? Was that because that's what saved them? No. All of those things God instituted in the temple, even the temple itself, everything pointed to Jesus. John, John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. All, every lamb that was ever sacrificed in the temple pointed forward to Jesus. Every bull, every goat, everything in the temple made you think of Jesus. They had this, this candelabra, okay? And I don't know all the Jewish terms, but they got them. You, know, you can see them now. It's like, I don't know. I can't even, I'm going to try to say it. But you've seen, you know, the candle. And, and, and they had one in the temple. Well, Jesus is the light of the world. And then, and then they had a table with bread on it, and they baked fresh bread every day and put it on it. Well, Jesus is the bread of life. And and uh, and and then they had a a a a, a brazen laver, is a big big tub that had water in it because when they when the priests offered the sacrifice, it was bloody and it was messy, and they had to go over there and clean themselves. Well, Jesus is the one that washes our sins away. Everything in the temple. Pointed to Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. It all pointed to Jesus. And what was what was all that supposed to be doing? They were types. They were symbols. They were representations that were supposed to help the Old Testament saints have faith in the Jesus that was to come. And say you don't because some of them start saying, "Well, all this stuff that I'm doing, I'm working my way to salvation." And it's like, no, 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 no. No, you're not using those things to get saved. You're using those things to look to the person who can save you. And so they look forward to the cross. Here's the cool thing. We're in 2021, right? Jesus came 2,000 years ago where they look forward to the cross. By faith, we look backwards to the cross. We, they, they look forward to what was going to be done. Woo! We get to look back at what has been accomplished and apply it to our lives. Come on, somebody. Praise him in this house. Hallelujah. And all of it's just grace. It's just the saving grace God just doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And the grace of God is necessary for you, Paul says, to be free from sin because you cannot save yourself. For by grace you save through faith and that not of yourselves. You cannot save yourself. Your hands are tied. You need a savior. You need a rescuer. You need a deliverer. And you are utterly dependent on God. And I'm just so glad I can come here this morning and say to you, here's what grace says, God is for you. God is for you. Isn't that great? A lot of people think that God is against sinners. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I remember one point in my life, I kind of had this image of God sitting on this throne. He's all white, got a big white beard, and he's got a scowl on his face, and he's got a big lightning bolt in his hand, and he's just waiting to zap sinners. You know, it's almost like something out of mythology, wasn't it? Like Zeus, you know, or something. Just zap the sinners, and he hated sinners, and he wants to send them to hell. That's the wrong picture of God. God has grace that says God is for you. Now, make sure you understand that he is, he is against sin, but he's for the sinner. And what is amazing about grace is that a lot of times sinners are against God. You know, I don't believe in God. I don't believe if you can know there's a God, an atheist agnostic, or I don't believe in God, or, you know, well, if there's a God, I don't care what he thinks. I'm living my life, and I don't care. And so we kind of are against God, and we live like we're against God and adversarial to God. And you think that would just make God adversarial to us, but it's not. He's still for us. That's what's so cool is that grace Grace says even though you're against God, God's still for you. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross, the cross. Some of you have a probably have a cross on a chain around your neck right now. It's very common. The cross is a symbol of God's grace. At the cross. God showed two things. God showed at the cross that he was against sin. He was against sin. He put his own son on that cross. And the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin. He didn't just, he, he didn't just take on the sin of the world. He became the sin. In the Old Testament, you would take and you would lay your hands on the sacrifice. And there was a, sim, a symbolic act that took place. Your sins were transferred to the lamb. And then the priest would kill it and drain its blood out of it. And he would die for your sins. Very, very intimate situation that happened when you, when you went to the temple. 
And you need to understand that when Jesus went to the cross, he took on all your sins. But he, don't, he, he didn't just take the sins. He became sin. He became the sin sacrifice. It was all transferred on him. And God took all the punishment and the wrath that he, because he, remember, he's against sin. He took all the wrath at the cross and he put it against Jesus. And that's why Jesus died. That's why there were thorns and the sufferings and the whippings and everything that happens in the spirit inside. It was the punishment of God against Jesus. Jesus dying for us. He died for, he was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. The punishment that brought you peace was put on him. You get it? The cross, God is against sin. But at the same time, the cross says, but God is for you. He who knew no sin became sin for me. Why? So that I might become the righteousness of God in him. And at the cross, God is saying, I may be against your sin, but look what I've done. I sent my only son to die for you. You've got to see this. I am not against you. I am for you. And if you will just let me and put your faith in what my son has done, I will wash you and cleanse you and forgive you and change your life. Power of the cross. God didn't send Jesus as judge, jury, and executioner. Instead, he sent him as our Savior, and that's grace. Call his name Jesus, which means Savior. God saves. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. And Paul said that grace, saving grace is best described as a gift. A gift. Okay? So, how many of you like gifts? The rest of you are crazy. What's wrong with you? Or you're asleep. Let's try this again. How many of you like to get a gift? Okay, there you are. Welcome to High Praises. Welcome to the service. We're halfway through now by now. Okay, so I, I, I just turned 55. I had a birthday January 26th. I turned 55, okay? And, you, you know, some people get this. The older they get, birthday's just another day. They say, I don't want to party. Don't do anything for me. Go ask my wife. I'm the opposite. I'm like, are we having a party? And I want gifts. I love getting gifts. Okay, I do. And, and I'm at the age now, I'm getting harder to buy for because the stage of life I am, I've got more money than I've ever had, you know, because that happens when you get older. So I can just kind of go get what I want. So the guys, the boys, they don't know what to buy me anymore. I'm like, go to Grady's, get me a gift card, and let me go in there. It's Christmas. Okay, I just walk around with all those gift cards going, what am I going to get today? All right, I'm not that hard, but I like gifts, okay? I love to get gifts. How many of you, how many of you love to order from Amazon? You come home from work, and there's a package on the porch. Oh, it's like your birthday, isn't it? I mean, you don't even let the dog out. You just go straight and get the package. Dog, hold it. You can wait, and you're going to open it up, and you know what it is because you ordered it. doesn't matter. It's a gift. Come on, I'm not the only one like that then, right? I love Amazon, and so I love gifts, okay? When you work, that's not a gift. When you get your paycheck, that's different. Okay, don't you ever let your boss make you think that they gave you something. You work for it. Okay, I work for it. Give me my paycheck. I work for that. That's not a gift, okay? The gift is you give me something in advance like a bonus, and I'll take that. Thank you very much. Okay, so there's a difference. Salvation is not something, it's not work. It's not going to work. And working nine to five all week trying to earn something with God. It is a gift. It's what God just gets. It's Amazon. It's just showing up at you. See what I'm saying? It's what God does. So let me give you a little statement that I wish I'd come up with, but I didn't. But just get this, and they're going to put this on the screen. Salvation is an obtainment, not an attainment. And there is a difference. When I attain something, I have to work for it. I have, to, I have to do something. But when I obtain something, it is simply because I have put out my hand and somebody has given it to me. That's salvation. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, God's Amazon, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift that shows up at your doorstep from God that you didn't have to pay for, that his son paid for. Is, is salvation. And then Paul said, not of works lest anyone should boast. You know, 
see if this, see if this resonates with you. See if you, you say, I, I connect with this. It doesn't seem right or natural to receive salvation from Jesus without doing something or suffering for your sin, for your wrong. Are you all with me? It, 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 it just in the natural, it just doesn't seem right. It seems like in the natural, somebody preaches like I'm preaching today, and you're going like, okay, I, you know, preacher. Everybody calls me preacher. Preacher. I hear what you're saying, preacher. But uh, I don't know, man. I just, you know, I feel like I need to do something. You know, I need to, tell me to do something. You know, give me some Hail Marys or something. You know, tell me to go do some community. Is there something I can do around here in the church? Just, I got to do something, right? You just can't. No, that's not God's plan. Even though it doesn't feel natural, it doesn't feel right, it's not God's plan. I remember we, we took a trip to Antigua, Guatemala, which is the oldest continuing city in our hemisphere. And uh, we have an orphanage there, Casa Shalom Orphanage, and we took a group of guys and we literally took an empty room. We actually, was, it was two rooms. We knocked down a wall and there's two rooms together. We, we put... Six toilets, six showers, and five sinks in there with pipes, running water, hot water heaters, uh, uh, lines. I mean, it, we just did everything. It was amazing. And we did it in four days. It was like we stopped, and it was like we were in a God whirlwind moment. It was just the craziest thing. Lance, you were on that trip. We just we had an awesome time. Well, we worked all week, and one of the things we did – and and the guys, because we were all working. I mean, we all we worked like 19 hours a day. We'd sleep five hours and get up, and that was part of it. We worked nonstop for four days. But I told them we got to Friday, and I said, guys, there were some of them. They had you know we had a punch list or a few things. I said, nope, we're not doing it. Not not today. I said today you're going to go into the city. You need to see the culture. You're not going to come over here and just work. You need to take one day where you can debrief a little bit and see what. So we went in. Most Central American cities have two things. They have a square with a government building and a Catholic church. That's very typical. They're all, and it's, and it's kind of, a, there's a lot of times there's a fountain there. It's, you'll see the same thing everywhere. So we go down to Antigua, and sure enough, you know, they had all that. So we went into this old, old Catholic church. I mean, it's one of the most oldest, it's one of the oldest Catholic churches in our hemisphere. And we walk into this old, old Catholic church, and they're actually the remains of the original one, but it's just, it's dilapidated. So we go in and we're just looking at the architecture of this Catholic church and whatever. And, we're going, and then my eyes go over and over on the right aisle, it was kind of a long shotgun to go up to the front of the church. We're in the back. We're trying to be quiet because there were a couple, three people in there. But I looked over and never forget this. And in the, on the aisle, the aisle, there was this old man and woman. They were, they were elderly. And she was behind him in an act of submission. And they both had their rosary beads. And they were going like this on their knees, going up the aisle, praying their prayers on their rosary on that hard floor. And I'm just watching this. I'm like, what are they doing? And then it hit me. And, and see, listen to me now. It's part of the culture, and it's even part of the religion. I know, and I'm not picking on Catholics today, but okay, but this is just the way it is. They know Jesus. They have Jesus hanging on crucifixes all over, okay? Go, go to St. Francis Hospital, and every bedroom, every hospital room has a, has a crucifix of Jesus hanging on it. They know all about that, but yet it's a religion of works. So you have to go to the priest, and you have to confess your sins instead of just talking to Jesus. And then the priest will say, well, you did a lot of bad things. You can give me 20 Hail Marys, okay, and go outside and 100 push-ups, and then you got to do 20 hours of community service. I'm just making that up now. But, but you do these work things, okay, and, you, and if you do these works, then it gets you back in good graces with God. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not making this up. And so, so what was happening is that there's this concept in this older couple's mind that you have to work. And so evidently, they were very aware of their sin. They were very aware they were, that they weren't right with God, but they felt like that if they could suffer, you know how hard, I mean, it's killing me right now preaching to you doing this. And on that cement floor that they would, or stone floor, that they would go, and what they were doing is the more they hurt and they suffer, that's what made you right with God. If you would just suffer. And I, and I, and I, wish, I wish so bad I could have gone over there and just stopped them and, 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 and 
and I'd had to have Julio to come help me translate. But if I'd have just said, Julio, tell him, tell him, you don't have to stop. You don't have to go any further. Stay on your knees. That's a good place to be, but you don't have to suffer. Somebody already did. That guy hanging up there on that crucifix has already suffered. You don't have to suffer anymore. You don't have to do anything. He's already done it. Just put your faith in him and believe in what he's done and just freely receive what he's got for you. It's just a gift. And then Paul says it's not of works lest anyone should boast. Um, You don't help God save you. You don't help him. And sometimes people think they got to help him. I've had people say to me, I say, you know, you you need to get right. You need to get witness to him. Well, I, I got some things I need to straighten out first. I've had people say that to me more than once. Well, I just got some stuff I need to straighten out. Then I'll get, and I've and looked at them and I'd say, that ain't how it works. Okay, you don't have to go straighten up the room and then ask Jesus, okay, now you can come in the house. We clean the toilets. The toilets are scrubbed and I vacuumed the floor. Come on in now and save me. You don't, you don't help him. You don't assist him. Because if you did, you would tell everybody how you helped him. You would brag how you saved yourself. And we've already proven you can't save yourself. What you do is you simply lean on God's grace. You, you don't have to do anything because Jesus has already done everything. You do nothing because he's done what needs to be done. And so God gets all the glory. God gets all the recognition for changing your life and making you right with him. And that's why when you do get saved, you don't want to go out bragging about what you've done and how great you are. No, when you get saved and then you go to work, you see your coworker who's a heathen, you look at him and you got a stupid smile on your face and there's something different about you because you're saved. And your coworker looks and you say, what in the world happened? You must have had a real good weekend. So, oh, I did. What happened? I went to a church called High Praises and this preacher or preach on saving grace and I prayed and I gave my life to Jesus and God saved me. I'm telling you, I had the best night's sleep I've ever had. My sins are gone. I am changed and what I got, you need to get some of this, pal. See, you give God the glory. You talk about what he did for me, buddy, he can do for you. That's how you do it. I believe there are two very important ways in which you respond to God's saving grace. And the two responses are for two different groups of people. So let me talk to the first group. If there is in this house today, and I have to believe God gave me this message for a purpose. So if there is anyone in this house or those of you watching online right now that you are a sinner and you are not right with God or you're a backslider, and you know what that means. You used to serve God and then you turned your back on God. You took the free gift of God and said, here, take it back. I don't want it. I'm going back to my friends. I'm going back to my world. I'm tired of living this way. And you went back into sin, okay? You don't lose your salvation, but you can't give it away. Did you hear what I said? Don't let anybody ever talk to you and say, well, you Pentecostals, y'all believe we can lose your salvation like you lost your keys. Honey, can you tell me where my keys are? I can't find my salvation. Can you, Honey, I laid my salvation somewhere. Well, check your pants pocket. Okay, you don't lose your salvation like you lose your keys, but you can tell God I'm through, Okay? Nobody can pluck me out of his hands. Well, I can squeeze my way out of there and say, let me go. Come on, somebody. All right. And so, and so if you're here today and you told God, let me go. And you know the funny thing is, the people, people who believe the opposite of what I'm here, you know, preaching, the stuff I'm preaching, they're saved and they try to put, you ask somebody who's backslidden and they'll look at you and there's somebody trying to tell you you're not backslidden. You can look at them and say, you've been living in my life for the last 10 years. I'm backslidden. Okay, don't tell me I'm saved, I'm still saved because I prayed a prayer when I was five. I'm not saved. I live like a hellion, okay? Like if you followed me, you'd look at me and say, well, dadgum, you're a hellion. You get what I'm saying? People in sin know their sin, okay? You don't need somebody else telling them they're not in sin. So, so I want to talk to this group of you that if you're in sin and you're backslidden and you're away from God, listen to me. How should you respond to the saving grace of God? You should respond humbly. Humbly. You should just come with this unbelievable sense of awe and humility that God would actually do all that he did for you and make it possible. All right, old hymn day. Alas, and did my Savior bleed. Did my sovereign die 
Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? See, that's humility. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. That old hymn, see, gets it right. That God's son would suffer and die for me, and I'm nothing but a worm. That's humility. You aren't worthy of God's grace, but I got good news for you. He'll give it to you anyway. You don't deserve God's grace, but he'll give it to you anyway. You're a rebel, you're wicked, you're vile, you lie, you cheat, you steal, you're despicable, and you're on your way to hell, but God will lavish grace on you anyway in spite of your deplorable condition. That's the grace of God. Do y'all like stories? How many like stories? I love stories. So I want to preach a story to you, and it's a Bible story. It's, it's, it's in the Gospel of Luke um, chapter 18. Jesus, can I modernize it? So I'm going to modernize it, okay? So... There are two dudes that went to church. How's that for modernizing it? Two dudes went to church. Both of them are sinners. This is a Jesus story. Both of them are sinners. Neither one, but they're completely different. Dude number one who comes in, he's actually somehow, he's a member of the church. He gives tithe to the church, and somehow he even got on in leadership in the church, a Pharisee. And so he goes all the way to the front row, this sinner. He walks into church, he's strutting, he's, he's waving, hey, how are you? Hey, good to see you. You doing all right? Nice haircut, like that. Yeah, good to see everybody, how you doing? Right up in the front row. Stands there in the front row. And during the praise and worship, he's got his hands up, he's smiling, he's singing the songs. He's a sinner now. But he's a religious sinner, very religious. Member of the church, goes to church. They, they elected him, put him in a position. So he's a, you know, he's, he's just, he's, and he's smiling, he's singing the song, the preacher preaches, and he's nodding his head. The offer plate goes by, he puts tithe in, comes prayer time. This is where it gets interesting. Prayer time, he stands up, everybody's praying, he says, Lord, I just want to tell you it's so good to be someone to serve you. Lord, you know how I serve you. You know I do a lot of good things, Lord, you know how many how many times I've read my Bible and how I come to church and I volunteer and, and Lord, I serve on that committee and that team, that ministry team. I just want to thank you, God. And he just starts bragging about all the stuff, the churchy religious stuff that he does. He's not saved. And then he turns around, he looks around the church and he sees center number two back there. He says, Whew, Lord, I just want to thank you. I'm not anything like that cat because you know what, how bad he is. But you know I'm a good person, Lord. And that's what he's doing. He's bragging and his pride and his arrogance has blinded him to his sinful state. Meanwhile, cat number two in the back, he came in, slinked in the back, got on the back row, and he doesn't want anybody to know he's there. You know what he does for a living? He's an IRS agent. That's right. He works for the IRS. Except he's a crooked IRS agent because he collects taxes from people and he's supposed to collect a certain percentage, say 15%, except he's collecting 25% and he's giving the 15% to Rome and he's sticking the other 10% in his pocket. He's an extortionist. He's a thief. And he's doing this to people that he loves and cares about and his own, his own people think he's a traitor. He has a horrible reputation. I mean, he's just a bad man, very bad man, Jerry Seinfeld, very bad man. You know what I'm talking about, soup Nazi bad. He's a very bad man. And this guy's a bad guy. He is not a good guy at all. And, I mean, everybody knows it. I mean, he, this, he's the opposite. This guy's got a reputation of, you know, well, maybe he's, you know, he goes to church. We think, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, like, this guy in the back, there's no doubt in how bad this dude is. He is so bad. When he walks into church, he won't even look around. Jesus said he pins his chin to his chest, and he won't even look up. He is so embarrassed. He's like, why am I even here? I don't even know why I'm in church. I am so embarrassed. These people, I have nothing I have nothing in common with these people. I am just, this is really uncomfortable. My wife made me come today. My best friend invited me. My, the guy at work asked me to come here, but I am miserable here. I don't even know why I came to this. I wish this service would hurry up and get over so I can leave. 
It's about saying he's got his chin pins to his chest. Jesus said he won't even look up. He's overwhelmed by his guilt, his fear, his shame, his sin. And it starts working on him. And I think prevenient grace is happening because God is trying to draw him and pull him. And there's this battle raging during the service, during the praise and worship. He didn't even know the songs. You know, he didn't go to church. He just sort of stood there the whole service with his hands in his pocket. And the preacher's preaching. And some of it's starting to make sense to him. But God's working on him. And finally, the altar call came. And it came time to pray. And instead of bragging, he has got nothing to brag about. The Bible says Jesus took his hand and he beat his chest. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a you ever been so urgent and passionate about something that you slapped the table or, or you cried and hot tears went down your face? That's what happened with this guy. Peter says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, that's humility. That's a man knowing what he is and what he ain't and where he is and where he ain't and how much he needs God. And Jesus said that church was dismissed. And dude number one and dude number two walked out the door. And dude number one walked out feeling really good about himself because he was, he was crowing and bragging about how good he was. And as they walked out of the church, he's waving everybody, see you next week, good to see you, hey, take care. Oh, look at your little baby, you're so cute. And he walked out still in his sin. But dude number two had a life-changing moment with God in church. And the boy who wouldn't even raise his head and was covered with guilt and embarrassment and shame had it all taken away in a moment. Because in that moment when he said, God have mercy on me, a sinner, God extended his grace to that man. And the man trusted God to save him. And God did what he said. And God changed that man. And joy came into him. And peace settled in his heart. And he got a smile on his face. And he picked his head up. And he said, I'm changed. I'm not what I used to be. I've been a recipient of the grace of Almighty God and he walked out of the church ready to tell everybody about the wonderful things that God had done in his life. And I just came here this morning to say that if you're like that IRS agent, that tax collector that Jesus talked about, if you're a sinner or you're backslidden, what he did for him, guess what? He'll do it for you. Come on somebody at high praises. I said he'll do it for you if you'll just confess your sin and lean on the grace of God and freely accept Accept his salvation and believe that he'll change you and wash you and take all your sins away and make you right with himself. All you have to do is come humbly and by grace and faith be saved. I want to talk to the church in closing because I know that the vast majority of people on this Sunday morning at high praises and those of you watching, you're born again. So here I am preaching about the saving grace of God. Does that mean that it's because you're already saved? It's passe? No. No, quite to the contrary. You ought to approach the subject of the saving grace of God every time with rejoicing and celebration. You need to be thankful. And you need to let God know how you feel about his saving grace. You know, too often, we come to church. Now, if the shoe fits, put it on. But too often, we come to church on Sunday expecting the praise team to sing the right song, get us fired up. Maybe our own praise and worship will spill out. Instead of standing there like a zombie with our hands in our pockets, looking around, maybe if they just sing it one more time or it gets exciting enough, maybe I'll get my hands out of my pocket. Might even raise one. Revival will break out if you raise both of them. That's just not right. You don't need the praise team on Sunday morning doing a certain genre, singing a certain song with a certain beat, with a certain style to motivate you to praise. You got all the reason you need with the saving grace of God. Come on, somebody. You've got reason enough to celebrate. Because you are a recipient of the saving grace of God. That's enough to trigger 
your praise. I'm going to preach right now, and if you Pentecostals want to get excited, uh, you feel free. What has grace done for you? Well, sin has lost its hold on you. It used to have a tight grip on you, but baby, it had to let go the day grace came into your life. And your sins are washed away. I mean, they're gone. Your sins are no longer to be found because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from every sin. You've been justified. God has made a, a court decision and declared you not only not guilty, but you stand righteous before him. You've been forgiven. I don't know if you get this, but every sin that you have committed and you've committed against God, God has released it. He's not holding against you. There aren't any grudges. They're all gone. You've been redeemed from the slave market of sin because of grace. You have been reconciled to God because of grace. You are born again. You're not the person you used to be. You're a different person. If any person be in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away and everything becomes new. You don't go where you used to go. You don't say what you used to say. You don't talk like you used to talk. You don't think how you used to think. You don't hang out with who you used to hang out. Why? Because there's been a change in your life. Come on, somebody. You've been adopted by the heavenly father. You are a child of the living God. You've been given the gift of eternal life because of God's grace. What else? The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. I don't think we get this. I don't think we understand that when you got saved and God changed your life, that sin went out and the Holy Spirit came in. And I don't think you get this. I just think you feel the Holy Ghost when you come to church or if you're listening to a good song on your podcast, on your on your on your iPod or whatever on your on your phone rather and your on your list you just think well I've I've heard a good song well I feel a little something no you're not getting it you got the Holy Ghost with you when you get up in the morning he's in there when you're slapping makeup on your face and shaving your face he's with you when you get in the car he's with you at work all day from nine to five he's with you on the ride home he's with you at night he's there with you in bed he's with you on the weekends you bring him with you when you go to church and you don't leave him in here when you leave he goes with you. You got the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of the living God living inside of you. Come on, somebody, give God praise in this house. All because of the saving grace of God. And I love this one. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. When before you were saved, if, if you'd have somehow taken a trip to heaven, stood before God and said, God, is my name up there in the directory? The Lord would have went, Maybe he's got electronic, and he'd have punched in your name, boop, on the screen popped up, and he'd have said, nope, you're not in. Well, God, what does that mean? Well, that means you're not coming here, and that only leaves one option. See ya, and he'd have shot you back to earth. Your name wasn't on the roll. You weren't part of the, of the people of God. If, if your mama saved, her name's on there. If your husband or wife's name, if they're saved, their name's in there. If your kids are saved, their name. If your mom and daddy are saved, but you're not saved, their names are in there, but your name isn't there. But oh, Jesus looked at the disciples one day and said, don't be happy. Don't get all excited because the demons are subject to you. But he said, rejoice because your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's a reason to get happy because the day you got saved and saving grace was lavished on you, God took a pen, licked it, and wrote down your name. And the day I got saved, he licked a pen and got in the registry of heaven. He said, Chris Sestar wrote the date down, and now I was in him. And you know what that means? That means I'm part of the family of God. That means I've got a place in heaven. That means i got a place in the Father's house. That means I'm no longer of this world, but I march to a different drumbeat, and I'm part of the family of the living God, and when I die, I'm going to heaven to be with Jesus, and it's all because of the grace, the grace, the amazing grace of God. Now, somebody in this house needs to be worse. Stand to your feet and give God some praise this morning. Come on, y'all. Give God some praise this morning for amazing grace. Come on, you can do better than that. Come on, give him praise. Give him a shout. Hallelujah. Think about where you'd be if it wasn't for the grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. I want to say something to you. 
Somebody right now may be watching, listening in this building online, saying, Pastor Chris, I hear you, and this is, ooh, I need this. But I'm bad. I got a long track record. I got a bad reputation, Pastor. You don't know. I mean, man, I walk in a room and people get scared of me. I make my wife's life miserable. I make my husband's life miserable. My wife and I aren't saved. We party every weekend. You, Pastor, if you'd walk into some of the places where we work, you'd walk in and see us. I mean, it would be embarrassing. You just don't know how we live. You don't know what we shoot up, what we drink, what we watch, where we go, who we do stuff with. Come on, somebody. That's okay. That's okay. I don't care how deep it is. I don't care how long it's been. I don't care how bad you think you are. This is why we preachers of the gospel have fun preaching. Because what I know is, and I'm going to preach on this thing. I'm going to preach on grace one more time next week. Y'all need to be here next Sunday. I will use this scripture again. It can be used two different ways. So I'm going to use it one way today. I'm going to preach it another next Sunday. But Romans 5 says that where sin abounds, where there's lots of it in your life, guess what? Grace does much more abound. There's more grace in your sin. You ain't hearing me. You're not here. You don't know what to do. You better be shouting right now. I said there's more grace in your sin. So listen to this. How powerful is God's saving grace? How powerful is it? Y'all ready for this? There is more grace in God's heart than there is sin in yours. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I want to say that again. There's more grace in God's heart than the sin residing in your heart right now. And there's enough grace and more to wash every sin away. And like that old tax collector, I want some people to walk out of here saying I'm not what I used to be. I may not be what I ought to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. There's been a change in my life. There's been a change in my life. And old things have passed away and everything has become new. Come on, all over this house, I want you, first of all, right now, if you're born again, I want you to lift your hands and I want you to just thank Jesus for saving grace. I want you to say it just like that. Jesus, thank you for saving grace. Thank you for saving grace. Come on. Thank you for saving me. And thank you for giving me the gift of salvation that I don't, come on, tell them, I didn't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't merit it. I don't even know why you did it, Lord. I don't understand it except it was just your unbelievable love. I don't know how you can love somebody like me, but thank you that you did, and thank you that you saved me, and thank you that you, I could be in hell right now, but you saved me. I could be in a mess right now, but you saved me. I could be a drug addict right now, but you saved me. They could be finding me somewhere homeless, shot up, shooting up under the viaduct in Anderson, but no, I'm cleaned up sitting here right in church this morning because of the grace of Almighty God. Come on, somebody. Give him praise this morning. Thank him for what he's done in your life. That's why you ought to live right. Because of the saving grace of God. I want to say this and we're going to pray. He gave his life and gave you everything. That's why you need a holiness preacher for your pastor. I'm serious. With all due respect to my brothers out there who pastor all over the country and all over in Anderson, you need a holiness preacher to be your pastor. Because after you get saved, you need somebody telling you to act like it, live like it, live like you're saved. Because if God gave everything, that's grace. God gave everything to save you from your sins. You ought to give him your entire life for the rest of your life. Don't you let sin back in. Stomp all over the grace of God when you let sin back in. Don't you do it. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you please?
if you are in this house, nobody looking, but you and me and God, and you say, Pastor Chris, I'm a sinner, I'm a backslider, you, you have preached today and the Holy Ghost is working me over and I, I got to get saved. I got to get back right with God. I, I need to get saved. I, 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 I'm going to make a, I'm going to raise my hand to you and God. Nobody else is looking around. I need to get saved. I want you to raise your hand in this church. One, two, three, go. Anybody needs to be saved? Raise your hand high so I can see it. Anybody in this house? I'm looking. I'm looking. Come on, raise it high. Get my attention. Thank you, hon. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Anybody else? An honest person. I love it. Come on, nobody's looking but you and me. Anybody else? I need to be saved. I need to be saved. Raise it high. I'm not going to wait. Either, either you're going to do it or you don't. Huh? Come on. All right, here's what we're going to do. We have one person that says they need to be saved. Y'all want to help them? Y'all want to let's help them? Let's do what we do sometimes. Let's pray the sinner's prayer together. And for you who just raised your hand, you know how you are. You pray the prayer too. We're all going to pray with you. But you pray it with faith. You mean it. And you lean on the grace of God. Trust God to do what he's promised to do, and that is to save you from your sins. And as you pray it by faith, watch and see as God responds to your heart and your faith. And lavishes grace on you. He'll save you and change you, and you'll know it the moment it happens. And even if you didn't raise your hand this morning or you're watching online right now, you pray this prayer with us. It doesn't matter whether you raised your hand, but what does matter is if you have faith and you're saved by grace and you pray this prayer. So everybody pray with me. Come on, everybody. Dear Jesus, come on, everybody. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. You know it, and I know it, and I'm embarrassed, and I'm sorry, and I don't want to be this way anymore. And I believe, Jesus, with all my heart, that you died for my sins, that you rose again, that the cross says that you're against my sin, but you're for me. Grace says that you're for me, so please forgive me. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Take my sins away. Wash me. Cleanse me. Change me. Come into my heart. Come inside of me, Holy Spirit. Right now. Come on, pray it. Right now. I confess you as my Savior and Lord. You're the Lord of my life. You're my leader. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to serve you. Come on, pray this. I repent of my sins. I'm not going back to sin after today. I'm not going to do things wrong, but I'm going to live for you. I'm going to do what's right. Now, come on, do this. Say, thank you, Jesus. Come on, say it by faith. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. Thank you for coming into my heart. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to do this by faith. I want everybody in this house to clap your hands and shout to the top of your voice. I can't clap because I got carpal tunnel surgery. Somebody clap for me. Hallelujah. But I can shout. Woo. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If one person got saved today, it was worth it. Hallelujah. If one person experienced the saving grace of God, it was worth it. Hallelujah. Woo. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.